Cameron DeBazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. Pastor Howard, we are starting a brand new year, a brand new quarter of a brand new series of lessons all about the, the Psalms. Psalms. And there's no other title except for the word Psalms. And so I imagine the bulk of our entire, in fact, the entirety of our entire quarter's lesson is going to be about Psalms. Well, there are 150 Psalms and we have 13 lessons. So yeah, we're going to be a... <laughs> It'll be an adventure uh, to see how those yes, are divided yes, up indeed, and how to organize. But uh, for this first lesson, it's titled How to Read the Psalms. And that's a general overview of the Psalms in broad strokes, I suppose. Yes. So you actually put our talking points together. And uh, I don't know that we need to have any other commentary except for to... Uh, you know, just introduce the new year and a whole new study series. Yeah, and my intro in our handout, and if you're just joining Talking Points, you discovered it here in the new year, we have outlines that you can print off of our website, michigansspm.org. Go to the Talking Points, uh, to our resources page, you'll find Talking Points, and you'll be able, or on the YouTube link, you'll find these, uh, yeah, in the uh, link to these uh, handouts in the description. But my introduction this week is this week's lesson serves as an introduction to this quarter's study in the book of psalms it took me a while to come up with that <laughs> quite comprehensive in a yes. single sentence but there it is so let me have a word of prayer for us before we study anything from god's word and then you can lead us through uh, our talking points for this week's lesson okay let's do that dear heavenly father thank you so much for a new year thank you that we have the privilege of knowing you and studying from your word and Lord, as we turn our attention to the book of Psalms, help us to find inspiration and application in our own lives. We ask and appeal for you to be our teacher and that our Sabbath school classes may be a blessing to everyone involved. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Pastor Howard. How many talking points? What are we looking at? We've in got this week's three talk. Happy New Year, by the way. I don't know who yeah. said that. But uh, <laughs> we've got, yeah, the, so the lesson is kind of, it's a little bit daunting. I think it's going to be so all-quarter because there are so many psalms, like how to read the psalms. There's really, the psalms are very broad in what they cover. Mm. And we'll touch on that some of that this week. So our talking points are these. I have three talking points. Number one, the psalms were given by inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, that comes from Sabbath, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, I probably could have put Tuesday Basically in the whole well. week, yeah. You've got a lot of that Thursday. But the Psalms, you'll see why that's important. The Psalms were given by inspiration. Okay. Uh, You could assume it, but yeah, we'll get into that. Number two, talking point number two, the Psalms give practical instruction in spirituality. Mm -hmm. And that comes primarily from Sunday and Tuesday. And then number three, the Psalms assume the immediate presence of God. That's primarily drawn from Thursday's lesson. Okay. So let's start looking in the Psalms and start talking about number one, the Psalms were given by inspiration. That's an important... Well thing to start off with. Sabbath afternoon's lesson, the, the, for, for the very first sentence is, the Psalms have been a prayer book and hymn book for both the Jews and Christians through the ages. Now, you don't typically think of a hymn book or a psalm book as inspired. And mm. so right off the bat, you're kind of like, yeah, you know, the, the Psalms, you could almost tend to, not that we don't believe the whole Bible is inspired, but you can almost tend to write certain things in the Psalms like, oh, these are, you know, this is just a psalm. I was going to say, I was about to say the phrase, <laughs> just a psalm. So you could have the picture where the Bible's inspired, and then here in the middle is a certain little subset that's different. Right. 
And so, but we need to keep in mind, and incidentally, um, these prayers and hymns are drawn from the varied experience of God's people. When we think about the Psalms, and as I mentioned, there's 150 Psalms, we always think about David. David wrote a lot of Psalms, but he wasn't the only psalmist. Mm. And so the lesson highlights that uh, Monday's lesson introduces us to a number of psalmists, such as David and Asaph and Solomon and Moses, actually, uh, various Levites and um, the sons of Korah, just to mm. name some of the psalmists. So there's more than just David. And all of these individuals had their experiences reflected in these um, hymns and prayers that they wrote. Mm. And there's a tendency, um, even in higher critical Christianity thinking, to say, well, this was the product of men. We do that. They do that with the Bibles. How much more is like, yeah, these guys were just writing their experiences out. That's not inspired. It's not inspired. It's their thoughts. Of that yeah. And so that's why I'm emphasizing this point. The lesson emphasizes the same thing. Yes, it was men who wrote those things like the rest of Scripture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the Psalms are part of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So like the rest of the Scripture, the fact that the Psalms are the experience of these men may lead some to forget that the product of divine inspiration. Mm. Lesson says on um, Sabbath that the, the Psalms did not originate with mortals, but with God who inspired their thoughts. Well, and that goes and, to a deeper thing, and I don't know if we're going to get into it and have time for it now, but as we understand inspiration, because you're saying yes. given by inspiration, well, how does mm. the Lord inspire his word? I think there's a tendency sometimes when we think of inspiration, we think of almost verbal dictation. Yeah. He like grabbed their arm and said, write these words or force them. But we know, as scripture reveals, that the process of inspiration doesn't just move on the man's hand. It moves on the man himself yeah. and it changes his mind and he opens up his eyes and he, in his own words, communicates the, right. the message of God. So the fact that you have well, there's a little bit of David and there's a little bit of Solomon. and That doesn't make it, oh, that's clearly just their input. Yeah. It's got their personality marked on it, but it's still the thought and the, the, the direction of God. It's, a, it's, a, it's honestly a fantastic view of inspiration. Not everybody shares that view of inspiration. There are some people who do view inspiration as a dictation kind of verbal, mm-hmm. I'm going... And probably the clearest, in my mind, indicator that that's not the way inspiration works, are the four Gospels. Mm. Because if it was dictation, why don't they all read identically? Well, and if they all read identically, why only do you have to do one? Right. And so you see that God gives a person the thoughts, but lets them express it from their own perspective, and it rounds out the viewpoint, and God guides in that process. And there's a level of trust, of course. You know, it's the same thing when people talk about translations and interpretations and and, you know, how does, you've got to believe at some point, you know, people say, well, the Bible, hasn't the Bible been tampered with? Mm. And Ellen White actually addresses that. I don't have the quote in here. And she says, it's possible and even probable. But if you're going to let that stand in your way of believing, you're never going to believe. And I'm paraphrasing right. that. In other words, you've got to have faith that, that God had the ability to, to preserve the integrity of his word. And more than preserving integrity, whether we're talking about the Gospels or whether we're talking about the Psalms with the varied psalmists, it actually lends to not just its credibility, but its benefit, knowing that your experience and your personality are not like mine. 
Mm. And so if everything was just written from the perspective of my personality, I mean, how helpful is that going to be? So God used a lot of different perspectives mm-hmm. and in, in the process of inspiration so that they would apply to a broader audience. Right. Well, I was just thinking of, you know, first Second uh, Peter chapter 1, where it describes the process of inspiration. It says, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. So it's their words, That's but exactly still God's right. message. Their personality is reflected, and praise the Lord for that variety. But it's still the trustworthy, inspired word of God. That's right. And, uh, and the lesson... Um, uh, it, the scripture reading, in fact, this week, Jesus, not the scripture reading, the, the memory verse, Jesus points out that he, he on the road to Emmaus, he opened, uh, or he told the disciples that all things had to be fulfilled concerning him that were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, and then it says he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So very mm-hmm. clearly Jesus, and or Luke at least, includes the scriptures, and Jesus, when he talked about those prophetic scriptures, the Psalms were part of it. In other well, words, it we wasn't a separate about, thing. Yeah, and we even think of Jesus like c- fulfilling prophecy in his own life and ministry, and on the cross, he's quoting the Psalms, right? So right. Jesus, and I'm, that's just one instance, but the Psalms are not a subset of scripture that are somewhat less inspired because they're somebody's personal journal or prayer book. Yeah. They are just as much a prophetic book of God as anything else. Uh, so we need to regard them as such. Well, why don't we go to Romans chapter 8. And it, why is this so important? Well, let me uh, see if I can illustrate it in Romans 8. Okay. And uh, I'm going to have you read verses 26 and 27. We've talked about this before, but there's a lot of different ideas on this. All right, Romans 8, 26 and 27. Yes. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes interse- Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now I can't tell you how many times I've heard this in Adventist circles, like, well, we don't know what to pray for, so the Holy Spirit, and we're so sinful anyway, and we can't word things right, and so the Holy Spirit actually takes our prayers, he dresses it up into a different kind of language and gives it to God so God can understand it. And there's variations of that. Mm. First of all, God and the Spirit and the Son all have the same ability to know their well, omniscience. Think about if you had that picture, you'd have like, well, here I am, faulty, frail, and finite. Right. There's God, infinite, omniscient, all-knowing, all-wise. But we can't talk to each other, so we need another member of the Godhead who can do this. So there's yeah. one who f- facilitates communication, and if it weren't for him, God and man couldn't communicate. Now, I, I don't have time to get into talking about the worthiness of our prayers and the merits of Christ, and that's not what we're talking about. No. What we're talking about is, does God, that we're, we're talking about is the passage... And I'm so thankful the quarterly doesn't do that with this passage. The passage is saying the Spirit helps our weakness. God doesn't have a weakness that he can't hear. <laughs> it's me who doesn't know what to pray. And so the Holy Spirit gives a groaning. He, he, he puts a he burden moves. on yes. my heart. That groaning is a groaning within me to move me to pray for the right thing. Mm. So it's not God doesn't need the help. I need the help. So the Spirit is working for us in one of the ways he does that is through the Psalms. Through, when you take yes. the Psalms, you have a book of inspired prayers. Mm-hmm. And so if you're like, Lord, teach me to pray, here's an opera, here's a way a whole book. Yeah. Right, that gives, like, what did David pray when he was in a situation like me, or Asaph, mm-hmm. or, or the sons of Korah, or whatever else? 
you see the hand of inspiration working through that, and it gives us some practical instruction. And even to that point, and I think you're going to get here in a minute, when we talk about the Psalms as prayers or songs of praise, Yes. but then you see, well, sometimes he's repentant for his sin. Is that praise? Right. Or what if he's anxious for the future? Or what about mm. the, 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 the God's justice over the enemies? Like, you, you some, I think we've cordoned off praise to be so narrow. It's only when you have something positive and uplifting to say to God, that's right. praise. Everything else is something else. But David clearly brought all aspects of his life into the psalm experience. Well, let's move into that. Uh, okay. Talking point number two, the psalms give practical instruction in spirituality. That was one example that we just looked at from Romans and applying that, you know, inspired prayers. Uh, mm-hmm. We can learn from that. As you had alluded to, the, the word psalms in Old and New Testaments means... Literally to praise. Um, if you look in the SDA Bible commentary, it says it means to sing with instrument, a, instrumental accompaniment mm-hmm. or simply to sing or to praise. Mm. Um, and so as such, the Psalms were incorporated in various aspects of personal and public worship. And it's, it's interesting that it was, they were, they were something that were, that were ubiquitous in the experience of God's people. It mm-hmm. wasn't just for church. It wasn't just like that gave instruction so there's not just an avenue for praise, but as we're going to see, it gave practical instruction as well. Mm. Gonna... No, I just that's an interesting thought. I'll, let's keep studying. This, and and so, uh, one of the things the lesson brings out also is when well, you can see this in in Psalm 150 that the Psalms could incorporate a variety of instruments such as the trumpet, the lute, the harp, the timbrel, stringed instruments, flutes, and cymbals. Mm. Um, so it's. We, we, that's listed out in Psalm 150, and yet we were talking about wh- which particular church did you mention? I believe it's the Church of Christ in the South, at least I know the, growing up. They don't have instrumentation. Because instrumentation is not, you know, holy or something mm-hmm. of the... And so it, it's funny that, it, and we could open up a huge can here when we come yes. to, to... Music and worship real quick. Right. Yeah. But it is interesting to me as I was going through this, I thought... You know, it would be great. Is there a copy anywhere? Because the Psalms were hymns. Is there a copy of the musical composition? There is none. Nothing exists. And then you have to ask the question, why wouldn't God keep a copy of the composition on record? And what we talked about in our pre-discussion is, sometimes what happens is, when God chooses to leave something less defined, there are always people who want to come in and further define it. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? So, for example, we talked a little bit about the name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. Somebody says, oh, you got to call him Jehovah. Or especially says, Jesus. Yeah. You can't say that. You know, but, but with the names Yahweh and Jehovah, like both are translated from the Hebrew YHWH. Like, that's all we have, YHW. We don't have any proof positive. One group takes YHWH and, and interprets it as Jehovah. Mm-hmm. Another group says, Yahweh, it must be this way. If God was that concerned it need to be that way, he would have included the vowels. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So don't make, don't try to be more specific than God is. Well, you know, the, the glaring example of that in scripture history is the Jewish people themselves. Yeah. When it came to the seventh day Sabbath, for example, the Lord gave a creation, a model of Sabbath rest. He gave it in the Ten Commandments that you shall not work. And, you know, he gave principles and, and clear mm. instructions on that. 
But they went and said, you know what, we really, really need to keep the Sabbath, so let's do that. And they started adding things and made what was supposed to be a blessing into a burden. Yes. Is it possible that we do the same thing with whether it's the name of God or the worship of God, whether it's music or, or liturgy or whatever, and we so we become more narrow than the Lord intends us to be. While not mm-hmm. avoiding the principles he's given us, we can't right. violate those, but we end up in practice making a rule that God himself did not write. Absolutely. Uh, and and that, that would be the point that I would make. So there's a reason that God didn't include uh, the compositions, I'm sure. And we have great principles uh, in the writings of Ellen White. We have mm-hmm. great principles in uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church Manual. And I think those are great guidelines. I think trying to to uh, make rules beyond those that we make hard and fast for everybody is just um, taking it a step more than the Lord would have us do. And then mm-hmm. we end up fighting over, as we were talking about earlier, some people will argue about, well, the problem is some music is so emotional. Of course it's emotional, and that's a good thing. We have that in inspiration. Yeah. The, 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 the thing when it comes especially with worship music is, there's nothing wrong with it being emotional. You don't want emotion driving it. You want the message driving it. And mm-hmm. that's what you see in the Psalms is you have God didn't record the composition. He recorded the message. Well, and clearly, look at our own creation. We are emotional creatures. Yeah. But that does not mean we should be ruled by emotion. Right. But they should be the, the, but our mind should make decisions. And then the supportive structure would be the emotion. And the same thing is true with music. We don't want it running the worship. And we're worshiping the music now. That's right. But to worship without the music because we're afraid of that is also not what the Lord is asking us to do. It's like put the message first and then in mm. the context give music that supports it. And the message in the Psalms, as I mentioned, is so broad and so rich. It covers so many different things. Um Again, the Psalms, and the lesson brings us out on Sunday. In fact, why don't you read that from Sunday's lesson? The Psalms did not only accompany the people's worship, but they also instructed them on how they should worship God in the sanctuary. And remember, we were talking about where the Psalms say, for example, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Yes. Or uh, come to the house of the Lord with an offering. And mm-hmm. um, talks about how the sacrifices of God are broken heart. Contrite contra- heart, yeah. Contrite heart, broken spirit. Yeah. Like, these these are practical instructions on how to approach God. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have practical instruction on that. You have example model prayers. Mm-hmm. You have David crying out for justice and what have you, which, yes. which helps to clarify for us the parameters of justice, mm-hmm. whose it is to repay justice, mm. um, what true love is, because some of our, what we call love is indulgence. Mm. And, and then we'll read some, how could, David's calling for this kind of justice here. Well, we find that in other places in the Bible, too. Mm. If it rubs you the wrong way, your idea of justice probably isn't biblical. You mm. understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So all, there's a lot of ins- rich instruction. There absolutely is. Through the Psalms. Yeah. Well, particularly, and, and you mentioned about in the corporate worship setting because it's in the context of the sanctuary. Like, corporately, right. we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and courts with praise. And what should be the burden on our mind? It's that justice of God appealing to his throne where it's in the sanctuary. And um, you We're know. talking about praising, not being, you know, pr- there, pr- there's certainly an aspect where praise is, you know, extolling God's goodness and what have you. Mm-hmm. But so how do you factor justice into that? Well, like, that's not praise. Well, the same, the same David who would talk about, I was so discouraged. I always, almost fell because, you know, I couldn't understand that until I went to the sanctuary. Right. And then it's like, oh, Psalm good. 73. Right. And then he appeals so many times for, like, the Lord to, uh, you know, to, to strike vengeance on the enemies. It's like, yet at the same time, this is the same one who said, enter his courts with thanksgiving. You know, gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. So somehow 
David had the mindset, the big picture, great controversy view of justice of God on his heart, but he still worships with a song in his heart. Right. He still comes with thanksgiving. It's practical but to I us. But I would add that, 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 that the praise comes from knowing God's a God of justice. Mm, so mm. you look at that and you're like, well, he's not praising God. He's calling for vengeance on his enemy. No, he's calling for justice, and he knows that God is a God of supreme yes. justice. He's extolling a character attribute of God. Yes. And that is everything Everything in God is praiseworthy. <laughs> yes, it absolutely is. By the way, um, you think of, you know, because you could find multiple examples of David calling for justice or calling for, right. you know, uh, Lord, when are you going to recognize our, our infirmity and help in the time mm-hmm. of need, right? But I'm thinking of Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, when the souls under the altar are pictured yeah. saying, and they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Well, that's the same imagery that David was saying back Absolutely. in the psalm. So there's a common in this sinful world, especially as we connect with God and we long for a better world. We say, Lord, when are you going to make that a reality and strike down the wicked, yes. destroy Satan and bring us home, right? That's the same burden that David had in his heart, too. That's right. Um, So the question is asked on the bottom of Sunday's lesson, how can we use the Psalms in our own worship, whether in a private or in a corporate setting? Well, Mm. just just that, and this is going to roll into talking point number three, just that concept of extolling God's, I mean, I, I don't even like saying God's virtues. Like as He is like, virtuous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God. But, but all those things we love about God, just giving utterance to that, mm-hmm. in our, whether it be in our personal life or, our, or our, you know, public life, a corporate life, that will shape our whole attitude. Yes. That the expression mm-hmm. of gratitude and the, 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 the communication to him and about him of his goodness and his plans is a valuable aspect of the Christian experience. Yes, which rolls us into talk point number three. The Psalms assume the immediate presence of God. Uh, the psalmist speaks of God and to God as, quote, a very present help in trouble in Psalm 46, one, mm. for example. Like, you, when you read through the Psalms, you know, the lesson brings out how God, you know, this dichotomy between God being away far off in heaven and yet... Per- very close present. and personal, yeah. very present help in trouble. And and it's as if, like, <laughs> when when the psalmist talk to God about their problems, it's not like they're giving a report. It's like, hey, this week I know you were off somewhere else, um, but let me tell you what happened. Yeah. It's always a very present, like, God, you were there with me. You know, you can, mm-hmm. like, more than anybody else, like, there was an assumption that God was there personally experiencing everything that he knows more intimately than anybody else what yeah. we're going through. And in fact, thing. David's appeal to God's justice is not because, Lord, I need to inform you so you'll do justice. Right. He's like, Lord, how long? You know. Right. Like, he assumes you've already been there with me. You see what I see. What are you going to do? Like, he assumes, again, to your point, that God's not just over everything, but he's in the midst mm-hmm. of it. It's with us. That's fascinating. Right. And and what that does for us when we study the Psalms is it is it helps to train our mindset that we are always living in the reality of God. God's not mm. somebody we visit at church <laughs> and then we leave there. Or, you know, yeah. sometimes maybe some of us visit at prayer meeting. It's part, it's, it's mm. an integral part of our life. Um, I, I think of, uh, this is at least in part what the Bible meant when Moses, the Bible says that Moses, quote, endured as seeing him who is invisible. Mm. Moses God was present to Moses. He wasn't mm-hmm. a far-off God. He was always there. And, and 
another point I put here is that the lesson points out how the Psalms seek to submit all life experiences to God uh, on, on Thursday's lesson. Mm. Submit all life experiences to God. In other words, every, there's, not a, there's not a part of our lives as Christians that's separate from our relationship with God. And the mm-hmm. Psalms reflect that. You don't find any place in the Psalms where it's like, yeah, I was doing this, God wasn't involved in that. But he is involved in this, and I put... It, right. He's involved There's in no everything. There's no compartmentalizing God. It's either here or there. And the Psalms aren't always given in the context of personal worship. They're given in the context of the whole life. Right. So. And, and which is just a part of worship as, as anything yes. else. You know, you know. I was thinking of the example when we talked earlier about Stephen. You know, he's he and and when he's giving his final testimony to the leaders of the Sanhedrin, he appeals to God up in heaven. He says, yeah. you know, earth is his footstool, but heaven is his throne. That's where he is. He's up there, right? Mm-hmm. But then as they take stones to kill him, he says, and he's right there. He's standing right, right there. So somehow he was over everything, but close. Mm. And he didn't wait until Sabbath morning to speak about that. Like he was, he's, he views God as superintending big picture, but incredibly close to every little detail of our life. That's right. And that's the psalmist perspective. And because of that, we know that's by inspiration, that is prescriptive. Mm. In other words, that's how we're supposed, a Christian views God Mm -hmm. as over everything and yet personal. The lesson, I made an interesting point on Thursday, paragraph two, it says, the centrality of God in life produces the centrality uh, of worship. So mm. if I recognize God in my life through the week, that, that kind of flows into my worship experience. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, well, that's true in the converse also, that the centrality of God in worship leads to the centrality of God in life. In other words, God is ever-present. And you think of what, what did God say to Moses, go tell the people, I am sent you. That, it, it's an yeah, ever-present name. Yeah. I, I'm not, not I was here or will be here. It's a present like ever Well, that's what the present. name Emmanuel means, God with yes. us, not just for us or made us, but he's here in it with us, present. And so reading through the Psalms, you, you never escape that. Mm. that, that and, it, and so, it, as I said, it even will train our minds to think more in that reality of a personal, present God. Um, why don't you read what I have in Great Controversy? This is just a, an example of how keeping God in worship keeps God in the mind. You get it. It said, had the Sabbath, of course, the original worship mm-hmm. establishment, been universally kept, man's thoughts and affections would have been led to the Creator as the object of reverence and worship, and there never would have been an idolater, an atheist, or an infidel. So this is just carrying on the idea that, that you know, where the centrality of God in life produces centrality of worship, but also centrality of God in worship, as in Sabbath-keeping, for example, leads to the centrality of God in the life. Right. People would have always had God in the mind. And so for us to live with this idea of God as a, as a present God, as mm. a personal God, um, will we'll accentuate our worship and also will then... Modify our life. It will yes. you know, re- recalibrate Absolutely. us. Uh, in conclusion, Monday's lesson, last paragraph says, The Psalms are testimonies of divine redemption and signs of God's grace and hope. The Psalms convey a divine promise to all who embrace by faith God's gift of forgiveness and of a new life. Mm. I thought that was a good a good statement, and yet it's I, we're going to have a lot more to say over the Psalms over yeah. the next twelve weeks because it's just they're just so rich in so many aspects of experience. Well, I'm already encouraged about the practical nature of this. The application here is that Psalms aren't just interesting reflections, but they're 
practical, they're relevant, they are timely for our own experience with God, and they can be not just informative, but also, to your point, prescriptive. They can give us guidance to how we can have a better walk with God, which, of course, is the goal of all Scripture, to bring us back to Amen. that connection with God. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm anxious, I'm looking forward to, not anxious, but I'm, I'm eager for, for this lesson study as we go <laughs> through the book. I'm not nervous about it, I'm excited for it. And uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all of Scripture, and particularly for the book of Psalms, and for the counsel they provide and the, the, uh, the, the instruction they give us for how to have a more, um, a closer, a better quality of relationship and experience with you. Help us, Lord, as we study not just this week's lesson, but all the subsequent ones to come, to help us to see Jesus more clearly and by your grace become more like him. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.